Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Well, good morning on this Giving Tuesday. It is the 3rd of December, 2019. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBerge. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, it is day three of Advent, so we are reading Luke chapter three. Here's how it starts. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, yeah, I'm not even trying that, Trachonitis, Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of uh, Abilene, not Texas. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, you'll remember, we read about uh, the son of Zechariah. We read about Zechariah and Elizabeth in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. We know who John is, but this is obviously a fast forward in time uh, because the word of God has now come to John. John is now an adult. So verse 3 says, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight and rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Which which I find kind of curious because John is the one warning them to flee from the coming wrath. He then says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, because we uh, are people who are familiar with this concept of good fruit, with this concept of the fruit of a righteous life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of the living God, about which Paul writes uh, in Galatians 5, about which Jesus, or to which Jesus refers when he is talking about himself being the vine and us being the branches designed to produce good fruit. So this production of good fruit in keeping with repentance, we know what that means. Uh, John is speaking to a people um, for whom this would be... you know, relatively new information. And remember, he is talking not only to to Jews, but he is talking to Gentiles as well. I find this extraordinary. Um, as this passage unfolds, and again, we're in Luke chapter 3, as this passage unfolds, um, the crowds ask John, what should we do? Like, they are, they desire to repent. They desire to be saved. What shall we do? And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So he's talking here about righteous action. He is talking about living in a way that is consistent with kingdom principles. So it's not maybe surprising that the crowds are asking, but listen to the next group who's asking. Tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked John, what should we do? Now, John does not say, stop being tax collectors. He does not say, um, you know, stop being Jews who are working on behalf of the Romans. He says instead, do what you do righteously. Do your work in a way that is consistent with the kingdom principles of God. He says, don't collect 
any more than you are required to. And then, look at this group who shows up. Some soldiers. Here we're talking about Romans. Soldiers ask him, what should we do? And he replied. Now, surprisingly, again, he doesn't say, stop being Romans, or stop being Roman soldiers, or stop doing this, this, this job that is actually putting other people under the thumb of, a, of an unrighteous government. No, no. John says, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This expectation of the coming Messiah is what we are focused on in the season of Advent. Um, and uh, it, is, it should be, we should live with this great anticipation that the people of God were living with um, in the days before the coming of Jesus. And John is the one who prepared the way. That's what the beginning of the third chapter of Luke is all about. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University about some of the headlines inside the Beltway. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is back from Cedarville University. Uh, welcome, sir. Hey, good morning, Carmen. How you doing? I'm well. So um, I don't know if you realize this, but I like save up some tasty tidbits uh, that are out there in the media. Um, and I save them up uh, in order that I can talk with you about them because I feel like your perspective in helping us um, understand some of the language that is used in the politics of the day, some of the language that is used in the media, and then maybe misunderstood. Um, and so I have some headlines for you and I to discuss today um, that, you know, one of them, I suppose, is like a week old. Um, but but they are examples of this intersection of what is happening in American politics, religious language, and media coverage. And so um, let's lead off with... Uh, Rick Perry uh, having been quoted about Trump, President Trump being anointed of God. Give us a little bit um, of this of this story, and then tell us what you think. Well, I mean, Secretary Perry, you know, who's on his way out of of, of Secretary of Energy, of course, uh, was talking about how his faith influences his view of President Trump and and his perspective on President Trump. And this is a pretty common theme that we hear, certainly among the Christian right and those who support President Trump pretty strongly. Um, and he used the phrase anointed by God to describe um, Donald Trump's particular role. And you know, that can take on a lot of different connotations. And I'm not sure Secretary Perry made it entirely clear what he meant by that. Um, we know at least he was probably referring to Romans chapter 13, where it makes it clear that all leaders are instituted by God or ordained by God. That's true for any political leader. It's true for Barack Obama. It's true for Donald Trump, uh, because they've been put in their position by God. You know, God doesn't sort of wake up one day and say, hey, Donald Trump's president. It's a surprise. Um, at the same time, using that word anoint can take on different meanings. I mean, anointed tends to mean set apart by God, protected by God. Uh, you know, almost God taking a special uh, emphasis and a special role for someone and God using this person for a very particular purpose. You know, that one I would probably push back on. I'm not sure that it's clear that Donald Trump is God's anointed in that sense. I think we'd be careful when we use that kind of language because it isn't always easy to see um, how God may or may not be using a leader. So I think that is particularly helpful clarification. And I think that we as Christians 
in the cultural conversations of the day, we have to remember that we are operating with some insider language. Yep, that's right. And that, and that when we are speaking in public, we must recognize that we are speaking in the context of people who are going to overhear us. And if we do not define the terms we're using fairly carefully, we are likely to be misunderstood. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think this is particularly difficult in this situation. Uh, you know, President Trump, no matter what we think of him politically, uh, has always been something of an uncomfortable fit with the Christian right uh, because of positions he's taken and things that he's done throughout his life. And for people to use this sort of language to describe him, I think they'd be very careful of how they do that. It's certainly true. He's been instituted by God. He's been ordained by God to be in his position. That's a long conversation in and of itself. And it's it's interesting, I think, that not even a lot of believers, I think, use these words carefully. But as you said, when we're speaking in a public setting and we're on the media and things, uh, we can never assume that a journalist or the other people listening are going to have really a clue of what we mean by those kinds of words. And so when you use a very specific term like anoint, um, that's going to come off as bizarre uh, to many non-believers. They're just not going to understand what it means in any of its dimensions. And so we have to be really careful. I agree with you. When we take sort of doctrinal positions and begin to translate them into public discussions, I think we have an obligation to do it clearly and to do it fairly and to try to do it in a way that represents Scripture well. So maybe on the other end of the language spectrum, um, the president being described in one place as anointed of God, um, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, Christians have to be careful about the way we use the characterization of uh, of the term demonic. Uh, and so uh, Dr. Uh, Mark Caleb Smith and I are going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the use of the term demonic uh, used by a couple of very high-profile Christians in public uh, in reference to those who oppose the president. And we're going to talk about um, the reality that there are spiritual forces at work in the world, but we're also going to talk about the real risk we we run um, when we characterize other people as being demon-possessed. So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, lots of folks in our listening area today are not dreaming of a white Christmas. They are living in the midst of a white advent. Uh, and so I know that. Greetings to all of you in snowbound, snow-covered, snow-blessed parts of the country. Uh, and I am here with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. We're talking about some of the headlines of the day. So about 10 days ago, on the 21st of November, Eric Metaxas, who is also a radio talk show host, um, had uh, Reverend Franklin Graham on his program, president and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse. I suspect that um, everybody anticipated a wonderful conversation about shoeboxes being delivered around the world um, to to needy children. Instead, part of what people got was a, a back and forth exchange that then um, was covered by the secular media um, in which Eric Metaxas and Franklin Graham uh, refer directly to those who oppose the president as demonic. And um, Franklin Graham characterizes them as almost demonic. Um, Eric Metaxas uh, corrects him and says, you know, you and I both know um, this is about spiritual forces. Okay, so, um, Mark, when we are talking, when we are speaking in public, 
when we know that other people are listening to us, um, talk with us about how we have to be more careful and give maybe more direct references when we are using a, a, a clear scriptural illusion, um, but not identifying it. <laughs> yeah, it's I. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when I first heard that uh, interview, um, I, I had a very strong reaction to it when I first listened to it myself. Um, I think I'd be really careful using this kind of language, and I, I'm not sure. It's hard to know what uh, Reverend Graham and Eric Metaxas were precisely thinking because they don't really elaborate on what they mean by this label demonic. Um, you know, at one level, we certainly are witnessing a spiritual struggle in the United States um, between people who agree with God and people who are sort of uh, count themselves among the forces of God and who are trying to do God's will in the world. And certainly there are people who oppose them uh, and they do it publicly, they do it privately. There's no question about that kind of conflict. Um, but I think when you when you ascribe everyone who's resisting the president or opposing the president as coming at it from a sort of a demonic perspective, uh, I'm not sure that it's fair to people who legitimately maybe oppose President Trump. Uh, there, are, In other words, I could make an argument that there are reasonable grounds for someone to say, you know, I'm not sure I agree with President Trump. I may even think he should be impeached and removed, but that doesn't make me demonic. That doesn't mean that I'm motivated uh, by Satan or by doing the will of Satan or the, the will of the forces of evil. Um, and I think when they use a broad label like that and ascribe everyone who opposes the president in those terms, it really isn't fair to people who are doing it from a different point of view. And it also sort of ratchets up this language that we use in public when we talk about political issues. It isn't just us versus them. It isn't even friends versus enemies. Now it is uh, demonic forces versus godly forces. And I think, again, that further divides us in a way that isn't always helpful for public discussion, and it certainly isn't always helpful for the kingdom of God. There's a, there's a whole lot going on in this conversation. We could talk about this for a half hour just by ourselves, and I don't, I don't want to keep going, but it's, it is quite fascinating to think about. And I think it's important to think about. I think that um, for most listeners, this is probably um, – this is, this is more the conversation that people are having in their everyday lives than some of the conversations about the nuances of impeachment and whether or not, you know, John Roberts is going to be anything like uh, Rehnquist was when, you know, he's presiding right. over. Right. I mean, I'm just saying, like, for, for most people listening right now, this is actually where the conversational rubber meets the road right. um, in, in the world. Um, this this we have to have we have to resist the temptation to literally demonize other people uh, it, in my own experience. um if if I allow myself to see that other person as the enemy, then I I have failed to see them as a prisoner of the enemy. Yeah, and I and I think we also have to keep in mind, even if you see them in those terms, our obligation is to still witness to them. Absolutely, and what's the and best way them. for us to witness to them? Yeah, and love them, and that's using this kind of language isn't going to facilitate that at all. And the hard part of this, you and I both know, the hard part of this, sometimes it's appropriate to call evil evil and mm -hmm. to say this act is evil. This act is completely ungodly and unholy. At other times, when you use this kind of a broad brush and define something as evil or demonic, when it isn't necessarily evil or demonic, um, again, I think you're just you're just burning your bridges and your opportunities to build relationships and to interact with people and what in a way that hopefully could bring them closer to the kingdom of God and not drive them farther away.
Okay, we have a couple of minutes to talk about this um, challenge, I think, that the Democrats face in terms of bridging the gap to religious Americans. Right. Um, and and so let's just let's just begin tilling that soil. Um, what do you see as their primary challenge and how do you see them approaching it? Yeah, one of the biggest issues, and I think President Obama really addressed this well as a candidate, one of the biggest issues the Democratic Party is it has a growing number of secular uh, adherents. And so people who have no faith whatsoever, uh, they are more likely to be Democrat than they are likely to be Republican. And so a large constituency within the party, therefore, is uncomfortable with religious language or with Democrats appealing to religious issues or using religious arguments. Uh, Barack Obama kind of tried to shatter that to some extent as a candidate in 2008 and again in 2012. And I think we could argue about how he did it and whether you agree with the way he did it or whether he did it properly. Uh, but he tried to at least bring religion more into the discussion for Democratic candidates. And you can see that they're still struggling with this in some ways. You know, look at the primary field right now. Um, some of them are using religious language when you hear them talk. You know, Pete Buttigieg is, in particular uh, is likely to use religious arguments. Others of them stay away from it altogether. Uh, an interesting part of this, of course, is that demographically, African-Americans make up a pretty big part of the Democrats' base. They're likely to be to resonate with this sort of language. And so it puts the Democrats, I think, in a little bit of a bind. You know, How do you appeal to this core group of constituents who see themselves in religious terms? And then how do you appeal to secular Democratic voters who see themselves as opposed to that to some extent? Uh, and I think it puts them in a, in a delicate position. And I'm not sure the Democrats have really quite figured out yet how to talk to both parts of their party. It's interesting that you um, that you highlight um, African-Americans. I just read on Axios this morning. Here's the headline. 2020 Democrats turn focus to black men. Yep. Um, I think you uh, maybe have identified the core constituency um, to which the Democrats know they need to pivot um, and, and attract. And religious language is going to be a part of that. I mean, there there almost needs to be um, the kind of um, rhetoric that we are used to hearing from African-American pulpits in order to um, uh, garner the kind of following that um, – you know that that certainly uh, Democrats have enjoyed in the in the recent past from the African American community, and so um, I don't just think that it can be rhetoric. I think that there has to be substance to it, and I think that the president has done a good job pointing out um, how the substance has often not followed the rhetoric uh, to promises made to African Americans um, by the Democratic Party, and so uh, I think it's going to be an interesting electoral uh, cycle, and we are very grateful that we have you. Uh, to talk with uh, during this during this process. Anything you want to say about what's happening this week in impeachment? Uh, you know, we're entering a different phase. You know, they're starting to really look at articles. They're starting to look on the Judiciary Committee about the Constitution and what the language might mean in relation to impeachment. And so the, the, the ball is still rolling, uh, but I don't foresee anything necessarily dramatic this week happening. Uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we'll see some votes take place where we really see if the Democrats are willing to impeach the president. So things are unfolding still, but nothing quite climactic yet. <laughs> so you don't think that having four constitutional law attorneys um, speak in public over the course of several hours is going to be like captivating to the American people? What? You know, it what? might be captivating to me. I'm not sure it's going to be captivating to the American public. You know, well, So it'll be interesting, but only for people like me, probably. We're going to let you be captivated by it, and then we look forward to talking with uh, talking with you about it in the future. Hey, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, thank you as always for joining us. You guys can find him at Cedarville 
uh, University, and I don't even have the, uh, the the link in front of me. Is it just cedarville.edu? That's right, cedarville.edu. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, Carmen. Okay, so um, I want to talk for here just for a second about my history with dogs. When uh, when I was little, we had Ludwig. Uh, Ludwig, the the first Ludwig that I remember was this three legged farm dog, and he was great. And he only had three legs because our neighbors shot him with a pellet gun because he looked a lot like a fox. Um, and uh, and he was Ludwig von Schmittenhofer the third Fowler. And then when we lived in Florida. Um, we had uh, Luddy the Fourth, also known as Ludwig von Schmittenhofer, the the Fourth Fowler. And then when I became my own, you know, living independently adult person, um, I got a dog that was a black Labrador, and her name was Bear, and she was precious. And later, I adopted a uh, a beautiful Springer Spaniel named Stuart, um, and a and a little rescue uh, uh, dog whose name was Chester. And now I have a legit farm dog named Sassy. Um, why do I tell you all this? Because I'm a dog person. Uh, I am not shy about saying I'm a dog person, and I love dogs. And maybe the most interesting speaking engagement I have ever had was with a uh, was with a canine charity uh, that actually goes out and serves it, uh, across the country in crisis ministry situations. And it's it's dog based. It's a dog based thing. It's canines, right? And so uh, when I went to speak uh, to, obviously, the people, I was told in advance, hey, there's going to be, you know, like 500 people in the room and 100 dogs. And I've never spoken, you know, to a room full of people with dogs. And so uh, they, they told me the things that you cannot say. There's certain commands that all of these dogs would follow if I were to say them um, from the front even. And so uh, I, I, of course, made great fun of just coming right to the edge of saying that several times, but I never did. Okay, so up next, I tell you all this because up next, I'm really excited about the conversation I'm about to have with Ron Leonard from a ministry called Canines for Christ. Canines for Christ. And so, yeah, this show's going to the dogs. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. Do you have an aimless teen living at home who lacks motivation and drive? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Many of today's parents are facing a generation of high school graduates that can't seem to find direction or purpose. They won't get a job and they don't plan to continue their education. And in their eyes, the future is just one big scary unknown. So if your recent grad seems to be stuck in a rut, it's time to get him going again. Require him to search for a part-time job or take some classes at a junior college. Encourage him to discover new interests and hobbies. It's okay to wander aimlessly for a while, but at some point, you need to insist on taking steps forward. Before long, he'll be off the couch and back on track to finding his way. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. We are ridiculous this morning here on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Ron Leonard, I hope you, uh, you you don't view that as a horribly inappropriate introduction to our <laughs> listeners to Canines for Christ. No, no, that was absolutely wonderful. Because <laughs> it took Paul and I a really long time to get our dogs to do that. 
that is dead. I can't even get my dog to do that. My dog just growls at me. So. <laughs> and, and, Ron, just so you know, no dogs were hurt in the production of that music. That's good. That's good. I understand. That'll be good for your listeners and everything. All right. <laughs> so we're talking this morning with Ron Leonard from K9, uh, K9's for Christ. But the, the URL is the letter K and the number 9, K9 for Christ. Uh, you got to spell out the word for. So it's the letter K, the number 9, and then F-O-R, Christ, dot O-R-G. And I want to give that URL in a way that people can connect with you. So K9forChrist.org. Ron, um, uh, just talk with us about what, what K9s for Christ is and what you guys do. Okay. K9s for Christ was started in 2007 um, by a guy by the name of Chaplain Larry Randolph out of Tampa, Florida. He was sitting in church one day, and God prompted him to start a therapy dog ministry. And he says, Lord, I don't need to have a dog. He said, I didn't ask you all that. I asked you to start a ministry. And so Larry went out and borrowed his sister's dog to start Canines for Christ. Now, let's fast forward 12 years, and Canines for Christ now has over 900 volunteers and 1,000-plus canines in 36 states and four foreign countries. So we're excited about what God is doing through Canines for Christ. We have a lot of faithful volunteers across the United States. Uh, Even in Minnesota, we've got four volunteers that are out there in that area that just use their dogs to share Jesus with others. So we have people listening now um, across the upper Midwest on our live uh, faith radio listening uh, radio stations, but we also have people listening across the country at MyFaithRadio.com and around the world on the Faith Radio app. And so um, people everywhere can be engaged in this. Talk with us about or tell us your story. How did you get involved? Well, I got involved. We uh, had a dog named Gabby that we uh, had to put uh, down at about 12 years old. She died of kidney failure. And then we got a dog named Molly, who is a rescue dog. Molly was left out in 18-degree weather to die with her mom. And uh, a foster family found her and fostered them. And then we we adopted Molly from that. And um, Molly, um, we just thought Molly would be perfect as a therapy dog. And so we started praying about it. And then I came across Canines for Christ in 2012. And kind of the rest is history. Molly is now right at about nine years old. We started her at about two years old. And she's been over 4,000 visits. And uh, she goes out to uh, nursing homes to um, assisted living facilities. But she also is a crisis response dog for our law enforcement. So she's able to go out and help officers that have gone through a crisis or officers that have gone down the line of duty. We've been able to help their families. So Molly is really gone out. We call her Jesus in first. She does a great job of going out and just being a dog and allows uh, Christ to shine through her. So let's talk about um, let's talk about that just being a dog part. There is something about um, I mean, you know, I know that the, all the cat people listening are thinking that this is not true, <laughs> but for all the dog people listening, which is probably most people, um, there is something about a dog. There's a there's a calming, there's a joy yep. first of all, and then there's this calming influence. Um, they're just nice to touch. Um, they're they're totally. Um, uh, their their love is totally unconditional. They don't care what I look like. Amen. They're very interested in what I smell like. Um, <laughs> but l- just like let's just talk about that. Talk about what you have seen happen when the dog enters the room. Sure. What we've seen, and, and, and again, your folks with cats, absolutely wonderful. I'm never going to say cats are bad, okay? So cats do a great job. But dogs um, have, like I said, a calming effect. I know Molly, 
when she has walked into a room, especially in a crisis, in a school situation, the kids just love Molly. They come up, they started petting on her. Uh, we, uh, Molly responded to the, um, to the Marshall High uh, school shooting a few years ago back in Paducah, Kentucky. And uh, one child just came up and just, and just cried on Molly, just absolutely just wept on the dog. And it was just, uh, it was just good to see a calming effect there. Um, uh, Molly has also been a comfort to people that are, that are bedridden. We had a lady that said, oh, I wish Molly could say hi to me. And we don't encourage the dog to do this because they could hurt the patient. But Molly, without me being able to stop her, jumped into the empty part of the bed and, and just crawled up to the lady and licked her right on her face and everything. So it was just kind of cool how the dog responded to that. Uh, so I am talking with Ron Leonard from Canines for Christ. The website is the letter K and the number 9, F-O-R, Christ.org, K9forChrist.org. If you want more information, if you want to get involved, if you want to see if your dog qualifies to be a dog and you qualify uh, possibly to be a person who goes into these situations, because the people, obviously, uh, Ron, are essential to this process, not just to get sure. the dog sure. where the dog needs to be, but they're, they really do open the door to ministry. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, we just um, encourage people when they decide, maybe maybe I could use my dog to do this, that uh, first we ask them to pray, obviously, and ask, you know, what does my Lord want me to do? And uh, we encourage them uh, to get involved. I, I, I love what Henry Blackaby said uh, of experiencing God. He said, uh, get involved with what God is already doing and join him in that process. So I just encourage um, people that are listening to be able to go to the website and say, hey, does God want me to be involved uh, find out what your dog is like. All we're asking to do, as far as the dog is concerned, is that we want the dog to be good with people, good with children, and has absolutely never bitten anybody. So that's what we really are um, asking for our for our volunteers to have a dog of that type. And if they do, then we encourage them to pray about using their dog, and they will find opportunities. The Lord will open up doors that they are just being amazed of what God is doing and everything, and be. Uh, uh, I'll be able to go out and open doors for God's glory on that. And when we talk about the the dog really being the the entry point to conversation, I imagine that while um, let's say that a patient or a disabled child or um, or someone else is interacting with the dog, you are interacting with the caregiver. Yes, you are. You're absolutely. We have a business card that we actually give them. The dog has their picture on the front of it, and on the back is John three sixteen and the center's prayer. And so we have the opportunity to leave that card with the uh, with the caregiver or with the patient, and the, and the patient is just there petting the dog. The uh, Veterinarian Association says that when a dog or cat licks you, a happy chemical actually goes through your body. So it's, uh, it's a tremendous thing of how the, uh, the patient just uh, is able to pet the dog and love on the dog, and then all of a sudden we open doors for the gospel and to be able to share Jesus. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ron Leonard from Canines for Christ. The website is the letter K, the number nine, for Christ.org. We'll be right back. Again, Paul Perot has been working overtime uh, on the on the music for uh, this particular segment of today's show. I am talking with Ron Leonard. He is one of the chaplains for Canines for Christ. You can find them at the letter K, the number nine, K9, and then the words for Christ.org. Um, Ron, I imagine that uh, there is a real difference between 
crisis response and the kinds of um, chronic needs that people are dealing with day in and day out to which you and Molly uh, respond. Talk, talk a little bit about those two different environments where um, Canines for Christ serve. Sure. Um, the uh, the chronic first I'll talk about is just going in and just being the and just being a ministry, being salt and light, being the light of the world, and that's just going into nursing homes to um, to uh, different places like that, cancer wards, and being able to talk to people that are dealing with a day in and day out situation of of what they've been diagnosed with. Crisis response is going in usually on an isolated situation to where something has happened, um, a school shooting. Um, or going into a um, a possible church shooting, or you know, going into a possible officer down, officer involved shooting. Those are individual situations that we go in and allow the dog to minister at a specific time there. And we have a lot of our volunteers across the country that do work on that and everything like that. We just recently had a canine that was shot in the um, in the Indiana area, and we had a lady that was able to go in and help the officers that lost their police canine and everything. So. Um, we are able to uh, just be able to go in and, and basically help people in those crisis moments when they definitely need help at that time. So you guys have a newsletter on your website, and you tell some really great stories. Why don't you um, Why don't you tell us one uh, one of the stories that you that you are aware of from one of your uh, Canine for Christ ambassadors sure. out there across sure. the country? Hey Amen. We have one in Tampa. That always comes to my mind. A lady visited a cancer ward. A lady was had stage four cancer. It was terminal, and uh, and uh, the volunteer gave her a business card and then left. A week later, the lady ran up to the volunteer and said, "I've just, I've just accepted. I've just read and 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 and, and basically prayed to receive Christ and trusted Christ alone to save me." Within a month, she was in heaven. So uh, that was a uh, that was a story that always is sobering to us. Another one that we really love is one of them where Gracie, which is our premier dog from Larry Randolph, went into a place where a man was a believer and he was in a hospice and he was unconscious. And Gracie all of a sudden stopped and just looked into the sky and uh, just stared for about a minute. And then slowly walked up to the man and laid down beside him till he went to be with the Lord. So those are two stories that I love to share, that there's a real God and... And God uses our dogs for his glory. You know, there's probably some people listening right now, um, Ron, who are thinking that you and I are over-spiritualizing um, the, the animal kingdom and that we're failing to recognize the, the unique nature of human beings as, you know, as the genuine ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven um, sure. and the agents of God's grace. But God is God of all of it. And, Amen. Amen. Um, and so um, I, I do want to just spend a minute reminding our listeners that we worship the God of all creation and that all creation is groaning with eager longing for man's redemption and that um, the Garden of Eden is, uh, is the place where we are certainly set as the stewards, not only uh, sure. over this terrestrial earth, but over the animals uh, of, you know, who are also equally made by God, not in his image, but they're certainly created by him and for his glory. And so I think that when we see animals um, serving the Lord our God, uh, when we see the fish responding to the call of Christ to jump into the net, um, and certainly when we we see the ways in which God does use animals uh, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, um, it's not 
uh, it's not outside of the realm of the Christian faith to recognize that sure. God does use creatures other than people. He does uniquely use people um, because we are the ones who are then able to articulate the message and really then answer the questions that people are asking in their heart of hearts. That is so true. You know, there's there's a book in uh, in, um, in a Proverbs that says, how you treat your beast or how you treat your animal is what your character is. So God is very, very concerned about how we treat uh, the his creation and everything. And uh, so um, it is so good to be able to, um, to uh, go to that verse and share with people that you do that. We have so many Christians that will come up to us in Canines for Christ and say, I used to be timid to witness for Jesus. Now I take my dog out and I just share Christ with everybody. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. Okay. So um, since you brought up verses of scripture that make reference to animals, um, I'll just give you Psalm 50 verse 9 and I'll have you look it up later. Okay. That sounds good. My fa- <laughs> it might be my favorite animal verse in all of the wow. Bible. Well, that's yeah. neat. Well, I'd love to use that book in Proverbs uh, because of what God does. But yeah, that's so, so well, you'll, the, yeah, I'm going to so. go ahead and tell people because they're driving and they they can't look it up. But um, it's a, it's, it is a humor. It is a humor. So let me just go ahead and say that. Um, okay. But the, the partial part of the verse is, I will accept no more bull from your house. Oh. And no more goats from your fold. <laughs> you That's neat. That's neat. I like that. You know, but I will accept family. Molly. I will accept yes. Molly and well, all well, of her uh... canine friends. Well, that is so neat and everything like that. It sounds like you uh, you grew up in kind of the same Christian life I did, you know, <laughs> those verses. <laughs> well, so that's wonderful. So, uh, Ron, because you're in Middle Tennessee, uh, I'll go ahead and confess. I'm out in Kingston Springs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Kingston Springs. I just live just west of Nashville as well. All right, so oh. i got to let you go, but thank you so very much. Uh, Ron sure. Leonard from Canines for Christ. You guys can find the website, the the letter K, the number nine, K9, the words for Christ, K9forChrist.org. Ron, uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours and to Molly as well. Merry Christmas, and you guys have a wonderful time in our Lord. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so Thanks. much for sharing Bye-bye. with us. We'll be right back. Okay, so today is Giving Tuesday, uh, and it's been going on for several years now. I don't know, more than five, less than ten, I would suspect, in terms of my own uh, recollection of the number of years we've been doing Giving Tuesday on the Tuesday after Cyber Monday, on the weekend after Black Friday, on the day after Thanksgiving, right? I mean, you know, so today is uh, Giving Tuesday. And so Axios has uh, a survey posted um, and this is a survey that they generated over November 22nd to 26th across the country. Just a, uh, just a, uh, I mean, we would call it a listener survey, but obviously they don't have listeners, they have readers. So reader survey. Um, and nearly 3,000 people participated, which is a pretty good sample across the country. So here's uh, what they ask. Which causes have you supported in the last year? And this is divided out by generations. But I just want to give you the um, the, the high to low in terms of what people are supporting across the country. Forty-two um, percent of respondents said they have supported something related to education. Thirty-nine percent something related to human services. Now, if I look down the list, human services is probably those kind of um, 
um, shelter or food kinds of distribution in their own local community. So I'm going to sort of go here with the, the kinds of things where people are helping other people because there's no material needs uh, anywhere else on the list. The third is health. So something that's health related, 37 percent of respondents have given to that. And now we finally arrive at religion. Religion, 34 percent of people who responded um, said they have contributed something, supported some religious cause in the last year. Well, religion is a really, really, really broad category. Uh, 33 percent have supported something related to the environment or animals. 22 percent, something called society benefit. I have no idea what that would mean. I don't even know when I would check that off. 22 percent for arts and culture. Uh, and 10% for other, don't really know what that means, and then um, 6% for things that are international. I want you to consider that for just a moment. Only 6% of the people who responded have contributed to something that has an international emphasis or focus. I, I found that pretty extraordinary. That, um, that, that shows that our generosity as Americans is pretty much bound by our borders. Um, we, we think America first when we think about our giving. And so on this Giving Tuesday, I want you to think about people who are uh, maybe beyond the borders of your everyday life. Maybe they are other people who we could reach through this radio ministry, and you could help us to do that, reach beyond the borders of uh, of the people you will personally encounter, reach beyond the borders of your town, uh, your city, your state, even the country, through My Faith Radio. And so if you want to participate with us on this Giving Tuesday, we make that really easy. You just go to MyFaithRadio.com and hit the Donate button. Thanks for joining us on this Giving Tuesday. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.